Welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm Nicole North and I'm your host. This season on At The Whiteboard, we're focusing on everything leadership, learning, and development. We have a ton of great guests ready to share their knowledge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. All right. Welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm your host, Nicole North. And today I am joined by a great colleague and friend, Sir Therese Grice. Welcome, Sir Therese. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's absolutely uh, my pleasure. So happy to have you here. Uh, Sir Therese is the co-founder and chief consulting officer of Mattingly Solutions, which I love this, is a woman-owned diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. Uh, and so I am always, uh, that's probably the number one thing I'm asked for from my clients. Do you do this? Can you do this? And I'm so happy that I have um, such an amazing firm of women, uh, awesome women doing this work um, in, uh, you know, in our network and in our referral network. Um, some of her clients and partner organizations are the National Association of Women Business Owners, Dick Sporting Goods, American Eagle Outfitters, and Intelsat. Um, and one of the most amazing things that I think uh, that Sertrice really focuses on is data, customized DEI surveys, um, to and using data in order to you know, change behavior, change culture. And Sertrice has her uh, BS in psychology from Emporia State University and her master's in industrial organizational psychology from Radford University. And she is joining us today from, it looks like sunny Raleigh, North Carolina. Yes, yes. It is beautiful here today in the Raleigh area and um, less rain, which is exciting because there's been, been some rain recently. <laughs> I love it. So from your perspective, tell me what you do. What's your, what's your elevator pitch? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. So as you mentioned, my background is in industrial organizational or IO psychology, uh, which is the science of human behavior in the workplace. Uh, and my business partner, Victoria Mattingly, she has her doctorate in IO as well. Uh, so that's why we take that data-driven approach when it comes to DEI. And we um, use our framework. It's DEIX. And the X is for like UX, user experience, and your employees are like your users. And so so it's very employee-centric employee as well. It's about getting that employee voice and doing what you need so your employees can really thrive in the environment they're in. Um, and so that being said, we really focus on partnering with organizations. It's not just a quick off the shelf, here's you know what you need to do to have an A plus in DEI. No, it's about where are you in your specific organization? So we start, we no matter what we're doing, we always start with some form of diagnostics. That's our phase one of our framework, getting in quantitative data, qualitative data, and then using whatever data we find to go into phase two, which is organizational service design. And that's building a strategy, right? So we're going to, we like to create our DEIX roadmap. It's a 12 month plan that says, Hey, here, based on your data, here's your target focus areas, some actions under each, who's going to own it. How are you measuring it? So what are your KPIs? A really robust plan before finally getting into phase three behavior change interventions, which is where everyone likes to try and start. Um, so that's your, that's your trainings, your workshops, building employee resource groups is really big right now. Um, or maybe reviewing some policies and making some policy changes as well. So that all happens there uh, before wrapping up with the final phase, which is program evaluation. And so seeing, you know, a year later, going back to that data collection, have things changed or revisiting that roadmap now? Okay, we've completed this. Let's take that off and replace it with something else because it should be continuous, right? It's not just, hey, we did this, we're done, bye. <laughs> you're, you're diverse and inclusive now. You have to continue this conversation. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much how we like to work with our partners and how we do that. And we also, you know, one of the great things I love is during that phase three, where we do behavior change intervention, we do some of that, but really what we love are those first two phases. And so we like to pull in a lot of partners. Like I know we've talked to you about opportunities to, to pull you into that phase three too. If it's something where, you know, not our specialty, not something we do, we have a lot of great partners in our network that we like to, to connect people with and refer out to. So. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. I'm a huge fan of that intentional language 
Um, and rather than calling it like a client consultant relationship of a partnership, and I love that you describe it more as a journey, um, you know, not starting with training, which you're right, is what everyone wants to do. Um, and starting with that early data collection. And that is just so aligned uh, with our methodology. We do something very, very similar, right? Using leadership assessments to start, create a baseline and then design uh, the training program around that. Um, and then checking that data again at the end. So I think we're so aligned in that. Uh, and that's why I love uh, love having you in my network. Um, and I love the, you know, I'm looking here at the, the vision and it's to improve the human experience at work for 1 billion employees. I love that big grand vision. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we do some vision work um, when we're helping people with the, the strategy building I mentioned, or, you know, if they're creating a new uh, DEI counselor task force. And we would say, you know, a vision is should be a lofty goal, um, something you want to happen in five or 10 years. And that's, that's our plan, right? We're, we're a small startup. We know we're growing, but really why we're doing this work, I, I'll even take it back, why I got into industrial organizational psychology. It was because I kept thinking, you know, I really enjoy psychology. I'm interested in business, but I want to be able, so like, I didn't want to go into therapy. I was like, oh, I can help people in the workplace. We spend so much of our lives. If you think of your life, and I can't remember the exact number, but we spend most of our time at work. And so it didn't make sense to me that people were having to do that and were unhappy. You know, you talk to people and how unsatisfied they are. What We can fix that. Why aren't we fixing that? There are methods out there to make it better for people. And so that was one, why I got into IO. and then. After being, um, you know, in my professional life for a few years, I realized that not only did DEI energize me in my work more than the broader picture I'd previously been taking, but it was also really what I wanted because I, like I said, I got into this because I wanted to improve work for people. Well, making sure that they're in an equitable and inclusive environment is the best way to get there. And so that's, that feeds into the vision and why it made so much sense. So Victoria started Mattingly Solutions in August of 2019 as a solopreneur. And I joined her uh, officially in May of 2021. And that was part of why our partnership made so much sense is because in talking to her, we had that same vision and it is to improve that workplace experience for all employees, but we wanted to make that tangible. And that's where the 1 billion came from. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, and it's so fascinating because I don't know if you know this, but I talk about why I started doing what I do in exactly the same way, right? Like literally the same thing, uh, you know, after spending 10 years in uh, government, uh, having some really amazing managers, having some really terrible managers, I was like, wow, you spend so much time at work. Why shouldn't you be happy? If only I could teach leaders how to make their teams happy through being clear, setting expectations, having, giving feedback, being kind and curious and teaching them all those conversational skills. So it, it's no wonder that we, uh, we like each other so much. Yes, I know. We're totally aligned in that, um, that desire to help people make work, um, not suck. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the goal. It really doesn't need to suck that it is possible. And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but sometimes for me in leadership, I'm like, it's not that hard. You just need to do some simple things. Is it the same? Tell me about yes. that same concept in DEI, because I think oh <laughs> people get overwhelmed and they're like, we need to have a full this and a, you know, full overhaul and blah, blah, blah. Tell me what you think. Yeah. No, it's so funny you say that because I literally was just, I don't, I don't even know. It's always on my mind. I'm pretty sure I was just sitting on the couch yesterday doing nothing and thinking to myself that it's so fascinating how, how much of a conversation these decisions need to be when you go into an organization and you tell them, you know, do X, Y, and Z for DEI. And it becomes, oh, you know, we got to run it up this whole chain and everybody has a say. And what about this, that? And it's like, just do it. Just say yes. It can be as simple as, yeah, and, and like the perfect example I have is 
that usually leads to a lot of discussion that blows my mind is, do we really need to hire a DEI person internally to oversee this and to drive this work? Yes, just yes. <laughs> the answer is, I am telling you, you need a person. Okay, and hire the person. Like, it could be that simple, but it's so fascinating how how overcomplicated it gets. And it's like that for a number of things uh, with DEI. There's all these questions of, well, how are we going to do it? And does it really help? What's the ROI? What does it mean? What does it look like? And one, I go back to, this is why you hire someone to do this work who specializes in it, because they can handle all of that for you. Um, but I digress. Um, and then on the other side, it, it doesn't need to be complicated. That's the other thing, right? Is there like all of these steps and layers? It can be as simple as just even data collection. It can just be as simple as count sometimes, you know, maybe a simple average. Uh, qualitative data is a fancy way of saying listening to people, right? You you have them write down their thoughts or you, you interview them, you do a focus group. It's about listening to them. And then the next step is just acting. So if you are hearing a lot of feedback or collecting data and you're seeing that your employees are unhappy because of X, we'll look into a solution for that. And that's, that's what it is. And that is comparable to any other piece of your organization. So I don't know. I'm on pause because I'm going to get ahead of my, I could I could ramble on for this for a while and take us down a lot of rabbit holes, but I'm going to pause and check in with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about the types. So you talked about collecting data and it can be as simple as qualitative data, you know, from focus groups and being listening. So what is a great process for organizations that are maybe trying to be proactive. I mean, we all know there's going to be organizations who are reacting to bad behavior, um, you know, reports, things that are not going well, consulting reports where they've been told to have consultants come in. So like, that's one example. What about the organizations that are, are, you know, they don't really have any serious issues now, but they want to get ahead of it and get proactive. What's one kind of simple step an organization could do easily? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And it goes back to, like I said, listening to your employees, Um, because another way that people like to get ahead of themselves, I joked about the starting with trainings, right, Um, is they open up an article or they open up a book and it says, you know, this is what you should do in your organization uh, to be more diverse or equitable or inclusive. And it's not always right. It's not necessarily what you need for where you are in your journey. Even if it is a best practice, maybe it's something that is useful 10 steps for now. And if you do it right now, it's you're getting ahead of yourself. It's not going to have that same impact. So that's why starting with that data collection is so important. And I, when we do data collection, we like to do it in a few different layers. So one was first checking in with your exec team, figuring out where they are, what they're ready to do, where they want to go, because it's important for them to be along for that ride. And so it's important to know where they are so you know how to bring them along and how what how to navigate those conversations. So just checking in with them, where are they? Um, and then get either meanwhile or you know right after is that employee survey, getting some items out there and um, finding out from your employees how diverse, equitable, and inclusive they think the organization is, so you know your pain points. And not just at the overall level either, because that's something else that we run into is people will say, okay, yeah, I'll collect data, and they look at it, and they're like, wonderful, everyone looks happy, everyone, everything's great. But then when you start to break it down by identity group, you start to realize where you may have some differences. And I should maybe say likely have differences because I don't know that I've been to an organization yet where every single identity group felt the same, right? You usually see something somewhere. Uh, And so look for those pain points. Also highlighting the strengths, right? We can capitalize on strengths, definitely. But the point of this is to see where do we have room for growth because you always have room for growth. And so 
I always pick on my own identity. Let's say you do your survey and your black women are scoring a little lower on those items. Well, now let's follow up. Let's do some focus groups with your black women and see, hey, what maybe is leading to these scores? What are some potential solutions? What could, what could we be doing better to help people from your identity group? And the key there is like I said, if you could hear my um, choice of words, maybe, right? Because a focus group is a sampling. So they're not uh, a monolith. It's not necessarily everything, but it's also pulling on the fact that they do share a lived experience and they also likely talk to each other, you know, and so maybe they have stories from other people and so they can share outside of even just their own. So it's just to get some ideas. Uh, and again, I'm going to lean into the word of getting those ideas because it is so much better to hear from your employees who are in your specific environment on what they need versus, like I said, picking up some book or the most recent article in a, in a journal that says do X, Y, and Z. No, what do they need in your specific industry niche like that your organization is in? And so from there, now you're like, all right, I, we, we know where the execs are, we know quantitatively what's going on, but now we have some qualitative to back it up from the focus groups. Th these are our main areas of concern. Here are the strengths that we see that we can use to improve those areas. And then here are some things that we just need to do better in how we're going to do it. And that's the key too. It's not just getting the data and saying, yep, well, we know we have problems, <laughs> brushing your hands off and you're done. <laughs> the most important piece is actually following through on action. Once you do that, or once you have that data, following through to have that impact. Uh, and one of the things I often talk about with organizations is if you're going to do focus groups, if you're going to collect feedback, if you're going to do surveys, for the love, like share that information back out. Yes. Share that information back out and let them know what you can and can't do. Um, let them know yeah. what is possible, right? Okay. We met with this focus group. You asked for this or your suggestions were this. Here's what we can do. You know, you don't have to meet them 150% of the way. Nope. And you don't always have to do every suggestion that people, you know, put forth. Mm -hmm. The key is have a decision-making framework that says, here's what you suggested. Here's what we're able, willing, have capacity, have the knowledge and skills to be able to do. And here's our trajectory. Here's our, our big vision later on. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because communication and transparency is another, I mentioned action, but communication and transparency is so big and not just around your data and your actions, but just in general, because sometimes that's actually what leads to the concerns. And so um, similar to what you said, where, you know, you may not always need to do every single suggestion. Sometimes you're already doing it and they just don't know. And so you're having issues and your employees are unhappy. And then I, I've had this happen before where I did a focus group. I went back to the client and, and in this situation, it was with um, their black employees. And they said uh, there were actually a lot of women in the room too. And they were like, oh, you know, we're predominantly uh, female employees, female customer base, yet all of our senior leaders are men. And I took this back to their DEI group that hired me and they were like, well, that's not even true. Most of them are women. I was like, well, how are you communicating that? Because clearly your employees don't know that. And now they're upset with you for something that's not even right. So it's, it's, it paints that picture of why sharing your information is so valuable. It's not just about gaining their trust, you know, and keeping them on the journey it can also solve some of the issues that you're having, you know, combating false information that's out there. Um, so yes, in, in, in regards to communication, it's also how are you getting it out? So when you ask people for information, th their data, whether it's doing a survey or focus groups, being sure to get them information, especially focus groups, right? Hey, we heard you. Here's what your focus groups like. Your focus group data and responses led to. So they have that direct line in contact, but also broader. So like I was just saying, right, you should be sending out to all your employees. A lot of times the order of this goes, senior leadership gets the first preview so they can be on board to help champion it, right? And they can support it and tell people why it matters. Um, and then sometimes there's a middle level of managers. So that way, if, especially if they have their own data for their department or team or whatever, um, but then just making sure you go all the way down to every single individual contributor internally, they need access 
access to the data, the findings, and the actions. It should include all of that. This is how we collected the data. This is what we found. Here's what we're going to do as a result of it. Here's maybe what's already in progress. Uh, and, and here's our plan of when we'll check in with you again. Making sure you have that open line of communication. And then for a special little cherry on top, your next one is communicating this externally because that's going to help you with your stakeholders who are outside of the organization and also help you with recruiting people in because they can see, you know, before even joining the company, wow, that is a place that really takes this serious. I can see what they're working on. I'd like to work there too. So communication open, honest, transparent, and with accountability, right? That's the action piece. It's so key to being able to be successful in this space. Wonderful. And I'm such a fan of that. I hate to just throw out a lame term, but it really is a holistic approach because you see some organizations collect the data, but don't communicate it. Some organizations like talking a lot, but yep. don't actually have anything to back it up, right? Mm. They're just talking out of, you know, the side of their mouth. And then, uh, you know, other, or and then I've, you know, I think that's so, I haven't even thought about communicating to external organizations. That's probably the worst if it happens in a standalone, like an organization starts saying to their uh, stakeholders publicly, we're working on our DEI and looking, seeking to become a more uh, inclusive workforce. And then the people inside are like, pardon me, did not see that. Don't see any of that happening here. Uh, yeah. So I like that kind of, um, all, all hands on deck, all, you know, we do it always. And all of those things are necessary at the same time for there to be real success. Yeah, definitely. And I've, I mean, I've seen it happen where, and, and if you think that's where uh, people will make their big diversity statements, you know, and their diversity is a priority to us, or we're doing this, or even sometimes what I've seen is helping externally, which again, totally important and should be a part of your plan but I've been in organizations before where they're like oh yeah I see them donating to places externally you know I see them saying we're going to be a part of x coalition but they're not helping us we're, we're your employees doing this work and we are not in an equitable and inclusive space so I don't really care what scholarship you're helping create like that's not helping me here today wow. and so it's, it's so kind funny. of cringy right it's kind of cringy <laughs> to see an organization creating a scholarship but like not actually helping individuals right in their in their internal organization they're like I I come in and I can't move past a certain level yet you're putting money out there like keep this money internal so we can have the infrastructure to give me opportunities to move up in my career, you know? And so it's so important to find that balance and be sure again, that you're covering all your bases. Like you said, it's maybe a simple term, but that holistic or robust approach. Um, it's, it's so important. It's, and then sometimes I refer to it like a, like a math equation, like, mm -hmm. you know, this plus this plus this means you are, um, with, I'm a little bit of a loss for words today, but you are with genuine intent and, and good intention seeking to improve DEI when you do all three. One plus two plus three equals yeah. genuine good intent. You may not execute perfectly. You may not make 100% of people happy, but there is a strong effort being put forward. Um, yeah. But at any point when one of those pieces of the equation is missing, mm -hmm. you don't really have it. You either don't have the diversity, equity, and inclusion, or you don't have genuine, good, strong intent. Yeah. Right? You're trying to just, cheat. You're trying to cheat by doing one, but not the other. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing you just mentioned that is like a slight pivot, but um, I want to dig deeper into it from a different angle that I think is so important is that you may not always get it right. Because I think that's another thing that scares people from not only collecting the data, but communicating it out or do or acting on it. You know, there's this fear of, Ooh, I don't want to mess up. What, what if I do it wrong? And honestly, doing nothing is worse than getting it wrong. If you are doing the steps, as we said, take collecting the data, communicating, being transparent. If you are doing that in good faith, that is so much better than doing nothing. And even when you mess up, because of how open and honest you were in the process, 
people are going to receive that better. And by people, I mean your employees. They're going to see it. And even if you do something and they're like, ooh, that, hit the, that missed the mark a little bit. If you then say, okay, I hear you again, right? We're listening. So you now you've done, you've done your data collection, you've acted. Now you collect more data and you receive some feedback and they're like, oh, I'm not sure. Now you communicate again. Hey, we heard you. We missed the mark a little. You know what our intent was because we told you, but that wasn't the impact. So now we're going to change. We're going to pivot based on the additional feedback we got from you. They love that because they can see you are trying and you are listening because you are course correcting. So it's a few pieces there, right? It's not being so stuck in your fear that you don't act, but then also not being afraid to admit when you're wrong and course correcting. Once you put all of that together, that's that's the journey. That's the work. It's not about being perfect. It's not about getting it right every single time. It's about trying and correcting yourself when you need to. That's, that's really, that's really impactful to me. You, that, that understanding. And I I was trying to process and think as you were talking, why is it? I mean, I know that there is, I mean, well, I can just say it like there's white people fear and I guess white fragility, right. Of mm-hmm. us just being afraid of not saying the right thing. We, yep. we know we've done some, we know we've done things wrong. We know we've not done the right things and now we're afraid to do them again. Um, so mm-hmm. that there becomes this fear of, I don't know how to talk about this. I don't feel comfortable. I feel, um, unsafe. I, I don't know, whatever that is. So we know that's one component of it. And then I was thinking about general personality types and leadership styles and that idea of admitting mistakes and vulnerability is hard for people, especially those that believe that you should just follow along a straight line and you start the process, you do X, Y, Z steps. And when we complete, we have DEI (laughs) Um, and, and they don't understand if they're, if something hasn't gone right that's another discomfort for them. So talk, let's talk first about that white fear. Tell me about white fear. (laughs) Um, well, I think you maybe could tell me more about it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but no, I, I think the thing with the fear is like you said, it's, things have been more in the front forefront recently. Right. And people are paying more attention to diversity, equity, inclusion, and especially race, the race aspect that, and because to be fair, like there are many facets of identity and everyone has their own struggles, but in many cases, especially like I'm in the U S at its core, race is one of our biggest conversations. It is one of the things that has impacted us historically and is at the root at a lot of a lot lot of our issues and then intersects with a lot of others as well right so rightfully so it is in the forefront in addition to again everything else that is also important and has their own history as well and so but with that and with the things that brought it to the forefront recently you know George Floyd is a big one that we always bring up because 2020 is when these these conversations started to really explode um there's been so much focus on race and white people who are well-meaning is honestly, I feel like end up sometimes being more of the issue than people, than the people who aren't well-intentioned. And the reason I say that is because of that fear, right? So they have this fear. They're like, oh my gosh, everything is so terrible. I'm so sorry. I, how can I make things better? I don't know how to make things better. What have I done? Like, well, I didn't do anything. Uh, Should I do something? And there's, and you get so choked up in that fear, right? And two things happen. One, the things become about you as that white person in your fear. And now people are trying to make you feel better and more comfortable, right? And so we start getting into the space of white comfort. Um, And then two on the other side is whether this happens or whether the white comfort happens or it doesn't, is nothing happens. Because again, we get choked up in that fear. So it's the same same space that I was discussing earlier with in general with DEI is when you get so held back and you're like, I'm just not going to do anything because if I don't do anything, then I'm not going to mess up and everything will be fine. And that's not how it works. Because while you, as someone who is well-intentioned, are not doing anything, those people who are not well-intentioned are still doing whatever they want to do those systemic issues that were there are still in place. 
and nothing is changing. And that person that you want to help, those black and brown people who you're like, I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to make your life harder. Their life is staying just as hard as it was before you came to this realization and before that fear set in. And so while you have fear, and again, you're hesitant and you don't want to make things worse, you should want to make things better. And so to make things better, you have to act. If you don't change, it will stay the same. And so it's that that's where the fear comes from is that, again, I do think the fear, it, it sits with people who are well-intentioned, but that's why I think those well-intentioned people can do more harm than even, again, like I said, than other people, right? Is because you now know better and you're not doing anything about it. And so to me, that's worse than just like not caring or not know, you know what I mean? So I don't know. That's my, that's my thoughts there uh, on the fear is just get past it. Don't again, just if you're willing and open and trying and just say, Hey, bear with me, I'm trying and course correct when you mess up, that is better than sitting in silence. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's a, that takes an incredible amount of not only skill and knowledge and uh, understanding Mm-hmm. of the issues and p- skills and tactics that are required to handle those situations. Um, but also deep self-awareness of yourself and your personality and what your fears are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, race or equity and inclusion, notwithstanding. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I know people who have trouble just expressing what they need for themselves let alone to go in and say, I've made an error and now I'm course correcting. Like there's, there's mm-hmm. so much work to be done, um, in people in general. I think that's why the work that I do and the work that you do sometimes tends to go so closely together. Yeah. We need to teach people how to communicate, how mm-hmm. to say, how to say, I said this, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm doing. Help me understand you know, help, you know, whatever that might be, um, and have those conversations. And it's, it's important that you say that because I think tying this back into DEI and some of the things we focus on is in addition to data and measurement, we also focus a lot on allyship and the important thing about how we talk about allyship. It's similar to how we like to work with our clients is that allyship is a partnership. And I feel like so often when we talk about allyship, when people, when it comes up, it comes up as, you know, very ally focused and it's a label and it's like, yeah, I support you. And that's about as far as it goes, but really it's a partnership between an ally and a partner who are working together towards goals of social justice. And so it is you coming together with that person and while you as an ally or have some kind of power and position to support your partner, your partner is a part of this equation. No one ever talks about what is the partner doing. And so that's where, you know, people will talk about like white saviorism, for instance. Okay, that's how we combat it. It's not about you necessarily as, you know, so Nicole, you're a white woman, you want to support me. You don't have to realize on your own when you make a mistake. As your partner, I can tell you, hey, Nicole, I know you're trying to do X. It's not happening. The method you're taking right now, it ain't working. (laughs) Like, and here's why. And so it's important for you as an ally, yes, to be prepared to receive feedback. And that in itself is something that, you know, like you said, we got to work with people on how do you take, how do you take feedback? Um, But it's also about working with that partner. How do you give feedback? How are you open? How are you trusting? Because as a partner, I have to build a relationship with you as well, where I feel comfortable with you, opening up to you, supporting you, but also telling you my needs, right? So that's the other side. So we talked about me telling you how you can do better as an ally, but it's also about me knowing. So, okay, I, um, I'm i gonna be with you, Nicole. You're gonna be my ally, I'm your partner. Well, I know in my life, what I wanna do right now, for instance, is I'm growing a business. I have a startup company, I need more clients. I have to be not afraid to come to you and say, hey, Nicole, I'm, I need more business and I need help getting there. I'm trying to get into these rooms, these doors, and I need support. And this is in being open and coming to you and you like, yeah, sure. You know, I'm, I want to support you in 
everything, again, you don't have to say, I want to be your ally. You're just like, yes, I want to be here and support you, Citrice. And so here's what I can do. Here are the people I can introduce you to. Here's the platform I can share with you. Come on my podcast. Let me help you get your message out. You know, like that in itself, I am telling you, Nicole, like that is an ally action that you took that you didn't have to take. And so I, I hope that's painting the picture there, though, of why of how these two things come together is it's not all about the ally. That's where we get into that danger of white saviorism. It is about an ally and a partner working together towards an end goal. And there has to be some action involved. The ally has to be willing to act and use their position and power, but the partner has to also be willing to trust that ally and they have to be open and willing to share with them, you know, and have to, and and they have to know their needs. You have to, so it's that self-awareness piece on the partner side of, what, what do I need and what could that person help me with? And so being able to come together in that conversation. It's a, it's a, that is, those are all a lot of complex skills that both the partner and the ally have to master. Those are skills that, um, DEI notwithstanding are not happening with anyone, right? Like you look at organizations, I train in organizations all the time. People are not having open and honest feedback conversations. They are saying that is the one skill that they cannot master or they struggle with. People are not receiving feedback well. And Mm -hmm. that is basically causing a never ending circle of you don't give me feedback. Well, when I give you feedback, you're upset. So I'm not giving you feedback, but now you're, you know, it's like a, a never ending spiral chicken and egg Mm -hmm. scenario. Um, so there's just a lot of skills to be layered into this exercise. It is not as simple as just doing your checkmark DEI training? Nope. Nope. Not at all. So it's, it's definitely an interesting piece. And I think what's important there too, is just that there's, there's a different layer. So we started, we kind of went on a ride here in this conversation. We started talking at the org level and how important it is to collect data and use that to drive your efforts and how that creates an environment, you know? And so that's something that's systemic, that is org level. It's going to come from the organization, um, maybe some systemic change happening, but there's also the individual. So yes, this is something that I always like to call out. It's like, yes, leadership has a role. Everybody likes to talk about executive buy-in and how that's important. Cool. Yes, it's important. Everybody likes to focus on who's leading. I even said, right, you need to have someone internal doing this work. Yes, 100%. You need someone who is assigned to this work, accountable, whether that's Hopefully you have a DEI, like a a CDO or a DEI manager or department, but maybe it's just under HR, whatever it is, you have someone in charge of this, right? Sure. However, it needs to be ingrained into every other part, just like everything else you do, right? So you have a communications department, but everybody has to use communications, right? And, or like you have accounting, everybody has to know how to, how to work with accounting. Same thing with DEI, but then there's the individual piece, right? So we talked about executive leaders, we talked about department level, but then individual people need to do this. They need to be a part of this. They need these skills because no matter what infrastructure you have in place, if your employees are not using inclusive behaviors, then it doesn't matter. You can't have an inclusive environment without each person being inclusive. And then on the other side, you can't have people doing inclusive behaviors if the system isn't set up for people to still move forward because just because we're all friendly with each other doesn't mean you can succeed in your career. So that's why having that again, full picture is so important. Yeah. There's a, 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 a saying or phrase, a quote, I think it's by Peter Drucker. I'll have to check, but I think it says something like organizations don't change people do. Mm-hmm. So it requires the individual action of every single employee to result in organizational change. You cannot just say we've changed Mm -hmm. without all the people inside of it actually changing those uh, behaviors. Uh, One question I have is what are some of the, uh, what's some of the resistance you get from organizations uh, around collecting data or doing some of the things we've talked about today with this, uh, you know, holistic approach? Yeah, so we touched on one already as far as the fear. uh, Well, I think it all comes from fear, honestly, but um, that fear of just 
opening the curtain, right? Is, oh, I don't want to talk about it. If we talk about it, it's, it's real kind of thing. Um, and so part of that, like we talked about is just not being afraid. Your employees, they either already know what your data is and they're, they have opinions about it. Or like I said, maybe they're assuming some things and they think they know, but really your data would tell them differently. And so that's why it, while you may be afraid of that, it doesn't make sense to be. It's better to arm yourself and to be able to attack address it appropriately. Um, and then that's similar with the legal repercussions. It's the same kind of thing. They're afraid of, you know, once we say it, then it's real and everyone's going to sue us. And so I would just like to say, I don't have hard numbers, but as far as I know, people who do this data-driven approach have not run into this absurd increase in lawsuits coming their way. They actually tend to hear the every feedback I've heard from employees is always like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy this is happening. I'm happy they're finally listening to my voice. And so it's very well received. And then also, I'm not a lawyer. This is not official legal advice, but <laughs> very simple understanding is um, at least US-based businesses are actually more protected than the individual. So for better or for worse. And so honestly, when especially discrimination lawsuits what it is is like as a business you have to show that you're trying very again very simplistic not a lawyer but you have to show you're putting an effort right so really the thing you're afraid of doing is your best defense because if you collect data you build a plan based on your data and then you act on that data you can say hey we like yes we know we need more people here we have the data to show that as well. And here's what we're doing to try and get more people in. And so it's kind of funny to me when people are afraid of that, because if you were to get a lawsuit, whether you collect data or not, you'd still have to go through the process we're describing to deal with that. So it's better to just do it up front to avoid even getting the lawsuit. It, so the lawsuit argument is really funny to me because it doesn't make sense. It's really backwards. Um, and then the other one is a big one, a big new fear. And this kind of goes back to that white fragility um, we were talking about is it's going to be divisive. It's going to break everyone apart instead of bringing it together. It's going to cause more problems. I don't, I don't know that we want to open this door. Um, yeah, it's just, it's very negative. We can't tell people they have bias. Like, no, then everyone's just going to be upset. And it's like, well, here's the thing. <laughs> You do have bias, first of all, that's the side. We all do. We literally, it's ingrained in us so we can live as humans. Like it is started physically there. Yes. Interestingly, I started using the word bias a lot more. Once I re became really comfortable using the term bias, mm -hmm. I use it in a lot of different ways to help people understand that yeah. like bias is also like personality type. I have yeah. a bias towards extroverts because I'm an extrovert. So mm -hmm. I like the energy that's mm -hmm. a bias and it, it's not a bad thing, no. right? It's not a bad thing. Some bias is, is bad, but it's all just about recognizing it. Exactly. And that's the key. That's the key on bias. It's not, it's not, but again, it goes back to, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you correct. It's not about having the bias. It's about what you do when you realize that it's impacting something that it shouldn't be. But all of that aside, the work doesn't need to be divisive. It's not about just focusing on your black employees. It's not about creating a wedge between people. It's about listening to people and getting everyone what they need to succeed. And yes, maybe sometimes, again, if your data is saying that you need to, in this moment, focus on your black women, okay, then do that. Or if you need to listen to your LGBTQ, okay, do that. But there's also other avenues. You should have multiple avenues to be collecting data, and that should come from any and every employee. So list, So that's something to remind people, too, that sometimes does happen in the DEI space, right, is we can become very focused on a particular identity. I've actually had organizations come to me before, and they're like, um, especially, again, very race-focused right now in the U.S., we need to do something about our black employees. They need help. We've been, been screwed up. We got to change things. And I'm like, that's wonderful. I am so, especially as a black person, I am glad you're prioritizing. Thrilled. But, but why? Like, do you have something to show that it's just your black employees? Where else do you have issues? What else might be going on? And so, and then once we start digging, they see like, ooh, actually our women are struggling too. And ooh, look at this. And ooh, and oh, our uh, people who have, are differently able, like, oh, wow. Like, and then you all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, we have so much work to do. And so that's what's so important is even 
all the same, even the well-intentioned, sometimes we do get too honed on one piece. And it's like, you need to be doing things for everyone. Start with, start with where there's the most pain in that maybe that is your black employees that's why you were aware but how are we also listening to everyone else or how are we what what we're doing for one group how is that impacting others in a beneficial way too don't only talk to them again sharing openly and transparently with everyone in the organization about what you're doing so yeah those are those are some of the concerns we hear and why they're not real concerns and how you can combat them you know you just got to do the work um got to do it well but well intent like Think, think it through and, and you'll be all right. Yeah. And test and trial, right? Be yes. vulnerable. I think mm-hmm. my, my big takeaway so far from our conversation is organizations need to be vulnerable and that is okay. That vulnerability is what is, is being looked looked at, looked for. That's what people are seeking. The organization yeah. to be vulnerable enough to say, we haven't done the right things. And we want to, we want to find out why. Yeah. Now, can I ask a, I don't know if it's a difficult question. Maybe I'm uncomfortable by it. So I don't know. Let's just, let's roll, roll with it. So there, how do we balance this notion of, for example, um, getting feedback from um, marginalized groups mm-hmm. Um without it seeming like we are asking those marginalized groups to do all the work for us. Where's that balance? I know that's something I have that like a super embarrassing story, um, (laughs) about like a, a, you know, a, a racial experience that I had that was so embarrassing for me now that I reflect back on it. It was, Mm -hmm. there was the intention was not there, but I, I, you know, I didn't respond well to how it happened. Um, Uh, And I remember uh, then immediately going to a party later and like finding the black person be like, this happened to me and I'm so upset. And, you know, now I'm so embarrassed about it because I know everything that I did that was wrong. And I'll tell you the story and then that maybe make make a little bit more sense. Uh, So I was at uh, my husband's barber shop and uh, they had a bar there. We were having a drink and I uh, had my purse sitting on the stool next to me. And as I noticed some people walking in and coming through, I thought, oh my goodness, my purse is um, holding a spot that someone could use. So I grab it um, to kind of move it away so that someone else can sit. And someone called me out and said, I moved it because I saw black people in the, um, in the store. And I went, oh my goodness, no, that wasn't my intention. I was making space. Um, and mm-hmm. I think I made it all about me at that point, right? Yeah. At that point, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe someone did this to me. Wasn't thinking about it in the right context. And then, you know, went to a party later and like found the one black person was like, tell me that what, what was going mm-hmm. on? Why did this happen? And seeking all that information. And so I, I later kind of recognized, A, I was making it all about me um, mm-hmm. and, and I could have approached it very differently. And I also shouldn't go running to the, the first black person at a party to like complain about what happened to me again, super embarrassed mm-hmm. about this story. Um, but I'm really glad I have it so that I can see what happened. Um, but where is that balance between how do we share, how do you, how do the marginalized community share this information and how do we not make it seem like we're seeking to understand this for our own betterment? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, again, it goes back to how there's different levels. So in your story, it was an individual level incident, something that happened, right? And so what I would recommend an individual do is one, just kind of sit with that on your, on your own and try and navigate that space. And then if you happen to have someone who you are a close personal friend with, and you really just want to, once you've had time to personally try and reflect, you could reach out and say, Hey, I have a story, something that happened to me. I wanted to get your thoughts, but you know, once I tell you, if you're uncomfortable with responding, that's okay. So giving them the space to say no is also really important. And so, but again, the the other key there is like, not like you said, the first person, first black person you see at a party. No, it's someone you have that bond with that ally partner bond and level where you could have a conversation. But the difference with organizations is you are getting, it's listening to your employees. And so it's getting some input from 
them, not asking them then to do the work either, right? So you're not saying, I want you to do the work. I want you to solve the problems. It's, hey, we're seeing this happen. Can you tell me a little bit more about your experience? We we don't want to assume on your behalf because we don't want that either. That's again, white saviorism, you assuming you know what we need. No, as, as someone in this identity group, we want to know your thoughts. We want to know some potential solutions. Okay, cool. And then you going back and following through using their advice, because that if you just say, oh, I'm going to listen, but you don't act, that's not good. And then that important piece is going back to them and saying, hey, here's how your voice mattered and what it led to. And so I think those are the keys is that it's it's different between if it's individual or an org. And then as an organization, the key is not having them actually do the work. Um, it's just getting, hey, we we want some thoughts in a formal setting and then and then actually following through. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that clarification and that understanding. That's great. That I think that's great for people to understand. Um, so we're almost closing up on time. Where did this, this time go? Um, I want uh, you to talk about, would you please talk about three things? Um, number one, your book. Number two, your YouTube series. Number three, where people can find you you know, wrap this up with what do you have to share with the world and where can they find your brilliance and your genius and access your spectacular knowledge and framework and methodology for how you approach this? Yes, 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 yes. That is a great question. So first of all, my name through Trace, I'm the only one I know of in the world. And so you look me, you just pop me in a Google and stuff will start coming up. No, seriously, um, I'm always happy to connect with people one-on-one. Can reach out on LinkedIn and I can always get you anything you need. So definitely feel free. But I'm really excited that we did just release our book, Inclusolytics, How Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Leaders Use Data to Drive Their Work. And it covers a lot of the theories we talked about throughout this whole conversation. So if you want to dive into that more, definitely recommend looking it up. It's um, on Amazon. So pretty easy, pretty easy to find, but it is a made up word. So Inclusolytics, like inclusion and analytics together. Um, and We'll link it. We'll link it in the show notes so that people can find it. I'll put an Amazon link right to it. Perfect. So yeah, Inclusalytics. Um, and then yeah, mattinglysolutions.com. That is a great way if you wanted to set up a time to chat one-on-one, you can find us on there. Um, and then, oh yeah, Better Humans at Work. So that is the name of the series on YouTube where we have some different uh conversations with people as well. So I think those are all the ways to reach out. And then, yeah, just as a quick sum, again, data, 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 it's so important and using that data to create your data-driven strategy, but the keys once you're of, you know, kind of feelings and focus areas, like Nicole said, vulnerability, right? Just being vulnerable, but then communication, transparency, and action. Those are my, my big words to recommend you keep in mind. Thank you so much for joining us, Sertrice. I hope that uh, folks that need this work and probably everyone needs this work to <laughs> some extent or another, no matter how advanced you are in your DEI journey, there's always more to be done. Uh, so I hope that folks can reach out to you. It's been so fun talking with you. I always love speaking with you <laughs> and I love the alignment in our approach and methodology and intent. Uh, it's so aligned and that's what makes uh working with you. So, so, so much fun. So thank you. Uh, thanks listeners and make sure that you find Sir Therese and we'll talk to you soon until next time. Thanks for joining us at Ot the Whiteboard. We've had an amazing time with you here today. If you want to keep up to date with everything that at the Whiteboard podcast is doing, make sure that you rate review and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Whiteboard Consult or on our website at www.whiteboardconsulting.ca. Talk soon.